0: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Han's Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like
1: this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. And the tournament
0: we all love, I suppose. The World Championship, we're right in the midst of it now. Um, the the first round has just come to completion as we're talking tonight, Thursday night, and it's come to an end, the first round, in seriously dramatic style.
1: It really has. Um, and what a tournament it is already, Phil. I mean, I, I, I made a, a, a little joke on social media that nothing's really happened, but don't worry, we'll fill the silence. But of course, that sarcasm, the lowest form of wit... Because so much has happened already. Oh, I suppose on the table, off the table. Well, actually, some of the off the table drama was on the table, but we'll come to that. <laughs> and uh, it really has, you know, been been quite an opening. Uh, nearly a week of the tournament. We're, we're around about a third in now. There's so much drama still to come. So, as Phil says, we are now at the end of the first round uh, stage. We look forward to going through all those matches with you in, in this new episode and taking a look at... Uh, the first of the uh, best of twenty five frame uh, matches to come. I mean, if you are expecting, I think it's fair to say, Phil, you know, listeners are expecting to, you know, journalists at the tip top sharp end of their game, then they might not be getting it. We we are quite crucible fatigued aren't we? As but we're, we're trying, you know, as much as um, as, seriously, as much as this tournament, you know, is burned into our sort of the psyche i suppose we've known it all our days and we've worked on it for a long time now there is an element where you kind of forget i think i did go into it time which didn't help myself on that one but you kind of forget quite how intense and how grueling it is don't you because there's that gap between it and it is i say a tournament like no other doesn't do justice to it it's a million miles away in a way from any other event isn't it
0: yeah it's uh... It's crazy, really. And I guess people who <laughs> listen to some journalists crazy and say things like, oh, it's brutal and it's so tiring. But it really is. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, we're not going to war or anything, but it is a big slog. So long old days, lots of concentration. Uh, and then to be fair, we don't always make it easy on ourselves. There are some late nights after that, after the work as well on top of that. But uh,
1: yeah, it's all very enjoyable. though. Yeah. Working hard, playing hard. Good way of summing it up. Now, Phil, we kicked off, didn't we? Uh, last Saturday morning with, uh, well, predominantly eyes were, I think, on the defending champion, Ronnie O'Sullivan, uh, playing uh, Pang jung and winning by 10 frames to seven. Now, I was in for that session, about the only live snooker I've seen in the arena so far uh, on that opening morning. It was a hard one to assess because I felt that Ronnie um, played some, you know, half-decent stuff at times. Pang's played some really good snooker, actually, but also some really naive stuff. And he fell a long way behind. In the end, made a real fight of it, didn't he, from 9-4 to 9-7. Then Ronnie got over the line. And then, even though we have to take stuff that Ronnie says with a pinch of salt, sometimes a vat of salt, you can only see. I'm I'm not a doctor, Phil, but I say I know a man who needs a a few tips and and a lie down on the sofa when I see one. He wasn't well, Ronnie but he did enough he got through 10 seven I think we'll see a lot more Pang Jong su just needs a bit more experience doesn't he
0: yeah absolutely yeah he's uh, he's been highly rated since he's been on tour really, and he's he looked good at times there I mean yeah falling five nil behind um, people, some people could have completely crumbled, but his first frame was a one-three-three three break. So, uh, that's nothing. Uh, There's nothing like crumbling. Um, so yeah, he'll be back, and uh, plenty more to come from him. Uh, Ronnie was ill. Yeah, I remember I spoke to him at the media day on the Friday, and I said to some people afterwards, he just looked really tired, and he didn't sound ill or anything, but he just seemed quite weary. Um, so that all explained that uh, afterwards, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't on death's door, but he certainly wasn't. Uh, at his healthiest. But um, Champions Advantage, I suppose, playing that first game and then having five whole days off before your next game um, has worked quite nicely for him because I'm sure he'll be fine by uh, by the time of the second round, starting on Friday.
1: What a, what a match to look forward to. He's got in the second round. We'll come to that, no doubt, later. Maybe let you speak first rather than me hog it every time. Or, for Stuart Bingham, 10, David Gilbert, 4. I know you... Have a, you know, a particular in with Dave Gilbert. And it's just come to my mind, of course, including on the telly. First morning of the championship. It shouldn't really be about you, Phil Haig. But instead, there you were in the corridor. And uh, I think you revealed that it wasn't the most perhaps illuminating conversation. It's about Dave's porridge, eating porridge that morning. But talk a bit <laughs> yeah. about it. I mean, that was a heavy deal. Yeah. Right at a half-decent start in the match from Dave. And, and unfortunately, he did actually say in a serious level afterwards, he needs to get a few things straight in his life away from the snooker.
0: Yes, yeah, he was very downbeat afterwards and he was talking about you know, whether he might not play again, but I, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm sure he will be back. Um, but yeah, he's had a tough time this season, uh, sort of on and off the table has been a bit tricky, but uh, hopefully will all be well with Dave soon. Um, yeah, I just happened to look into the corridor, popped my head out of the press room and looked down the corridor and uh, Dave was there, so I just went to say hi. I didn't realise it. Uh, it was being filmed. I didn't know. It was live on the telly at the time. While well, we had quite a boring chat about where he was staying and what he had for breakfast. Um, but, yeah, nice to see my old face on the telly, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, Gilbert made a great start in it. Well, Bingham did. Century first frame. Then Gilbert reeled off three with three big breaks. But then it all went downhill from there, really. And Stuart... Um, he did make a lot of big breaks he, he looked good but gilbert's long game had just deserted him completely he was missing everything from distance and that was giving Stuart a lot of chances so um yeah one to forget for gilbert there but um sort of quite a nice easy way to warm up for biggam
1: the old didn't know I was being filmed trick we've all we've all heard <laughs> that one before but yeah it, it ended up being quite a nice one for, for Stuart, actually after that quite you know say so, Difficult star, I think him imposing himself with those five frames in a row, he ended 6-3 up, didn't he? I think that sort of broke the back of it and there was only one winner from there, really. And we said it time and time again, you know, Stuart, anyone that's won it before, is kind of a contender because we've seen them do it. But Stuart is one of those, he can just fire in a big event and go deep. We saw it two years ago when he got to the semi and put up a really good fight against Mark Stelby in that semi. So, yeah, he'll, he'll no doubt... Uh, you know, as I think he'd always thought in the big ones now, half fancy his chances if he can string some nice form together. Well, another fascinating uh, element to the tournament is, of course, Neil Robertson, as it is nearly every year. Because we're all wondering, when on earth is he going to, well, ideally for him and his fans, completely put, put part the wrong that we think of his record and win it again, or at least go deep, very deep. Well, he had a good start, then he, being woo-y as a 10-3 we were watching outside in the beer, gar- beer garden area, Phil. new Nice new touch here in Tudor Square with our good friend Gary Moss. Hello to you, Gary, if you're listening. Had a nice old time out there. And we watched Neil compile two breaks of one four six in three frames. I mean, that is quite something, Phil. There have been six at the Crucible in nearly half a century, and... I'd say four, four of those came in forty odd years and two in twenty minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, amazing stuff. Yeah. Two in the last three frames,
0: wasn't it? As he beat Wooy as a ten three. Um, yeah, he was he looked absolutely superb. I think he made a one three eight right at the start of that game as well. So um, yeah, Robertson looking at his full sort of robot mode there, just not looking like he'd miss at all. Woo, actually, considering he won three frames, actually was quite made a quite impressive debut. Um, he won those three frames in the first session, two tonnes and an 80-odd. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a heavy defeat, but uh, no shame in that for the teenager who will also be back and uh, has a bright future. But, yeah, Robertson laying down a marker, was it too strong? Was it did he go too early? As he peaked at the first first match,
1: dunno. But um yeah, he was delighted with this one, obviously, because it was amazing. And Woody is a place to play quite well in patches, didn't he, for a 10 3 defeat? Mm-hmm. We, you know, the history books will not sort of reflect, I think that you know, some of the nice play he, he you know, he, he show. Yeah. Did get quite a few people saying peaking too early. And like, my reaction to that was that would be a little bit rude, maybe. Um a little rude, maybe too strong, but a little bit sort of dismissive perhaps of, you know, one of the best players in the game. But I think it's fair with Neil, isn't it? Because he's sort of done that quite a lot over the years. So we'll see. I mean, you you know, those guys are good enough. And we have seen players actually stay at pretty much a top level throughout. So it is possible. But yeah, you know, it's it's certainly, I think, fair to sort of, Worry if you're a Neil Robertson fan, at least at the moment, that, God, is he playing very well early on again and really sort of stool later on. But he's he's making the right noise, isn't he? He's saying it's his best preparation ever, and he certainly had the ideal start with a thumping win. Now, one match that I think I've had, we've had two or three surprises, one certainly for me and many others coming tonight will come to that in the last of the first round matches to be completed. One other that came with a really surprising comeback that we'll talk about soon... But the first for me was Ali Carter. He just didn't play as well as I thought he, he would. He played Jack Jones. He lost 10-6. It was nip and tuck all the way. It was 7-6 to Jones. And I was travelling back actually that night uh, to London uh, from Sheffield. And I had it on my phone. Marathon frame. Just the balls went horrible. Very, very long indeed. Eventually went the way of Jack Jones. And he didn't really look back from there. And Carter sort of fell away. Listen, we don't, we don't have favourites in our game. going to be pleased for Jack Jones big 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 win for him on debut but for Ali after what happened in recent months I couldn't help feeling an element of disappointment film
0: absolutely yeah I mean coming in off one of the best seasons he's ever had um, he was saying he was really talking up his chances when I spoke to him on the Friday um, saying he's playing the best snooker of his career and the fact you know he's been to the final twice and now he's playing better than ever so he's really sort of fancied potentially going all the way but certainly having a good run good deep run um and yeah, he just didn't quite find it. Certainly not on a regular basis. He had little flashes. Um a 143 is quite a significant flash, I suppose. Um and but yeah, Jack Jones played really, really well. you know, we know he's a tough cookie, um, makes it hard for people. Um he wasn't re- he's sort of renowned for being sort of slow player. He was towards the slow end, but not bad. You know, I think his shot time was under 30 seconds, so that's not too bad. Um but yeah made it made it made it too hard for for Carter and um, a thoroughly deserved win it was very impressive for on, on debut from Jones
1: It really was and well one that went all the way and we we were all absolutely you know gripped and engrossed in at the end was was Luca Purcell 10 Ricky Warden nine um Purcell nine picks up warden getting back to nine nine hats off to Luca Phil. 84 in the deciders to win it. He finally gets his first win at the Crucible. I, 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 I was certainly one of those, I think a few of us saying law of averages, but then quite a few thought it might go on, but he'll be so pleased. Monkey off his back, finally getting that first win at Snoopy. Yeah,
0: and and a really good win because Ricky Walden is an excellent player. We all know about Ricky. And uh, and yeah, Luke was early, missed the press day on the, on the Friday, so not great preparation. And he admitted that, Uh, Whether he was ill or not, he he wasn't doing any preparation anyway. Quite an amazing revelation that Luca made um, to the guys on Eurosport afterwards, saying that he'd done 15 minutes practice in three weeks, uh, just been playing darts and and just had other things to do, (laughs) which is quite remarkable, really, if that was the case. Um, He said it two or three times. Um, His dad was saying on Twitter as well, I struggle to believe that 15 minutes wasn't some sort of exaggeration because even if you went to practice, why would you only stay for 15 minutes? <laughs> That's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, I, I do believe in that he wouldn't, wasn't uh, doing loads and loads of practice. And I suppose it, it showed a bit at times than that. When Ricky uh, was coming back at the end, Luca looked a bit gone, but uh, he made a great break in the final frame. Um and, yeah, he, he's he's far too good a player not to have won a match at the Crucible. Obviously, he's coming here as a seed. Um, and I think he's he's good enough to sort of go a long, long way in a World Championship at some point. Maybe not this week, but um, at some point, definitely. So, yeah, uh, fantastic from him.
1: It really was. And another player that we were saying fantastic from him about was very much the fire I mean, that performance from him in the second session to, to beat Ding I know I think you used the phrase he... He, he he played like a top player. He played like one of the mm-hmm. best players in the game. And I think a few others sort of made a similar point. And that's the, the only way you can say it, really. Pretty close after the first session. I think we always saw... Uh, I don't remember what each of us said now when we did our preview episode, but I was sure we were saying it's going to be close. That's for sure. Unpredictable. And I'm surprised the losing player only got six frames, actually, in the case of Ding jin Wee. But that's all credit to our same for Fi. Superb, break building in that last session. Just took the game away from Ding and and then, as we become used to from Hossein, didn't just delight us on the table, Phil, but delighted us journalists off it by making some disparaging comments about Ronnie O'Sullivan stirring the pot nicely for us, uh, saying that Ronnie's Ronnie's best when he's when he's asleep, is it we're saying? Yeah, it was quite, an in- I've
0: not heard that phrase before. He's a nice person when he's asleep, um, which, you know, is an unusual little dig there, but I didn't mind it. Um, then he was saying that Ronnie saying he was ill was just an excuse. He said he always makes excuses. Then he, he even did a little Essex accent impression, which was quite impressive from the Iranian, I thought. It wasn't too bad. Um, and then he said all sorts of more stuff on in other interviews, didn't he, and saying, which I hadn't realised, because obviously he made all the sort of Ronnie should retire comments last year, but. He didn't actually mention that his sort of annoyance stemmed from that time that he beat Ronnie 5-0 in the German Masters qualifying. And he found Ronnie very disrespectful that um, he wasn't really trying his hardest. And in the final frame, he, he was he broke off and just smashed into the pack. Um, so it looks like it all stemmed from that, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, it set up a superb um, sort of grudge match that has come out of... Well, not nowhere, I mean, it came out of nowhere when it first came out, but it's been around for a little while now. But um, there's going to be a lot of people tuning into those three sessions now, which is excellent. But, yeah, on the table, Hussein was sensational that second uh, session. The first session was a bit a bit stodgy, wasn't it? It seemed to go on for a long time, which was quite unexpected. Um, but, yeah, brilliant in that second session, just knocking in big breaks, absolutely blue ding off the table, which doesn't happen very often, does it, with uh, a man of his quality. So if Hussein can play like that against Ronnie, he'll... Well, I guess anyone he'll win but um, can he keep it up over three sessions having really sort of piled the pressure on himself with all these comments It's a risky strategy but um it'll be huge if it comes if it pays off
1: Well it's a huge prospect isn't it and it's one of those matches that actually it's not a morning and an evening job on one day it's actually over three days isn't it I think mm-hmm. I' might saying it's UK time, Friday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. Sunday morning. So yeah. all weekend, it really is going to keep us absolutely gripped. It all lies on the screen, or for those, indeed, all lies in the players If you're if you're lucky to have a ticket for one of those sessions of the Crucible, it, it really is going to be uh, a bit special. I mean, that, there's precedent for Ronnie losing those matches, isn't there? Perhaps we'll, you know, focus more on a sort of preview element when we come to the second round later. But yeah, really, what what a prospect in store and to carry on our our first round uh, review then. Uh, Mark Williams ten, Jimmy Robertson five. Well, Williams wasn't quite at it earlier, was he? Five four down. Uh, I saw bits of this actually. we um, not betraying too much of a secret. We were we were in the pub on that Sunday afternoon. Now I think of it, Phil, with a with some with some football to catch on, some uh, up on some old friends. But definitely, of course, still an eye on the snooker. And it looked like it was a use that word stodgy. It was a bit stodgy in that one actually. And what well, Williams sort of found it. Quite hard to find any rhythm, and for him, you know, he's, he's the ultimate rhythm player. But then found his you know niche, found his new level, I think the next day, won six in a row, pulled away, and the end was a handsome 10 5 winner.
0: Yeah, he said he didn't think he played that badly on that first session. Robertson just did a couple of nice clearances, um, but yeah, he obviously wasn't at his best, um. And, yeah, Jimmy just sort of seemed to lack a bit of belief in that second session when Williams started pulling away. It didn't really look like Jimmy thought he could stop him. Um, And, yeah, I think that was one of the sort of fairly easy to predict first round games. Williams, I think his record against Robertson beforehand was 10-0. Now it's 11-0. And, yeah, sort of fine. That was a satisfactory performance from Williams. Couldn't get too excited about it. Um, No need to be too critical about it because he won comfortably, but um, it was just sort of par for the course, wasn't it, from him?
1: It was, Phil. And then in sort of chronological and time terms, we're now moving towards Monday night, aren't we? And I think people will, almost everyone listening to us, I'm sure, will will know what's coming. And that's, of course, the night when the tournament found itself on the front pages of newspapers around the UK and around the world and not just on the back pages. That's because... Of course, uh, two protesters uh, broke their way onto the arena floor, didn't they? One, uh, throwing orange powder over one of the players, uh, over one of the tables, managing to get on. And the other table uh, was a a similar thing attempted, wasn't it, from one of the protesters there. The referee, Olivia Martial, actually showing, you know, very quick work to prevent that protester from getting on. But, I mean, we saw some you know, pretty extraordinary images, didn't we? I mean, my goodness me, the image of that protester with that orange powder sort of dry paint, I think it is, isn't it? You know, with his mouth wide open on that table. I mean, you couldn't fail to think that was one of the most dramatic images to emerge from this championship. I know it's not part of the sporting angle, but just in terms of, you know, photojournalism, in terms of a striking image, it was sort of right up there. Um, they were led away. Uh... They were arrested and released on bail. And the show went on, didn't it, to some extent. The Mark allen uh, uh, G match went on after a delay. But the other table was just too damaged, wasn't it? One with the orange powder on. So that that was the Milkins-Perry. Stopped for the night. And they came back, uh, as we know, for their first session the day after. And then later in the week, we just seen that. This morning, Thursday morning, the conclusion of their match you were there in the press room. What drama it must have been that night. Uh, take us through it. I mean, it just su- suddenly went from uh, quite a nice night at the Crucible, some nice snooker to enjoy, and then madness. Yeah, it really was. Um,
0: yeah, it was It was right at the start of the evening session, wasn't it? So we'd all just uh, had our dinner in the green room at the Crucible, and uh, I suppose there was a little lull. It was a bit sleepy in there. Well, we thought got a, we've got a good three or four hours of this to come. Um, we'll just settle in and then wallop. Someone's on the table, and there's uh, frantic phone calls to editors and people tapping away as quickly as possible on the keyboards, and a lot of confusion, you know. Uh, Obviously, it was all brought to a halt pretty quickly, but then obviously, it was what's happening with the table? Can we play? Can we get the other table back on? When will they play if they're not playing now? Uh, Rob Walker got his hoover as quickly as he possibly could, <laughs> which was a superb effort from him. Um, and then, yeah, so there was a, it was a real mad sort of hour or so until it all settled back down. And then Mark and uh, Fan went back on on the other table. Um, but, yeah, crazy stuff. Um, I think everyone handled it as well as as possible. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about security and what he can do, but short of you know fencing off the arena floor or something there's a certain amount of you know stuff that you just can't stop um even if you s- searched everyone quite thoroughly you couldn't you wouldn't necessarily find a bag of powder on them anywhere um and yeah as I say in 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 lieu of sort of uh, putting a big fence across the front or having loads of security you're not going to stop someone just one random person jumping on there so no one to blame really I don't think, um, it just happens. It happens a lot at the minute, doesn't it? Um, they target sporting events and it was sort of snooker's turn to deal with that. Um, but yeah, I think everyone handled it pretty well. And you're right, the imagery. I mean, in terms of choosing what to do for a protest, um, if they wanted to get their pictures everywhere, they they made an excellent choice because the pictures were incredible, really. Um, amazing scenes. So yeah, unfortunate for the tournament, unfortunate for... Um, Perry and Milkins especially although Milkins said something interesting today he said even though it was right at the start of the game he said he was feeling pretty bad he was feeling pretty nervous and because he hadn't been to the Crucible for a while he was really getting used to again how tight it was and the big crowd and everything Um, so he was quite happy to go off and come back the next day actually but um, yeah just a crazy scene
1: It really was now I mean you you can't say anything but then it was I suppose alleged criminal behaviour. I think that's what 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 kind of the implication of what of what the language we're hearing. I mean, I think we could see pretty clearly what it was. I have to say, um, a lot of people do agree with the cause. I will say that, uh, and a lot of people in Snooker that I've spoken to, when the you know when the dust literally the dust the powder settled, Phil, um, you know a lot of people have said, well, they didn't really like. You know what they saw, but actually they they do kind of agree agree with the cause, and I I suppose those people would say uh, shock tactics are the way to get their point over. I mean, I've heard people say that they should do things like you know protest peacefully or go through the correct channels. I mean that I mean I don't know what they mean. Sort of write letters to Barry Took uh, points of view. I mean those things don't tend to work, do they? Protests tend to work. I believe in protests. strongly believe in power and always have done um and i have to say you know that that uh, i don't know i couldn't speak for for just stop oil and their specific um uh objectives for this i imagine they take into account people they would have upset and they actually do it because they want to spread the message in that sense i can only think it was a big success because you know it's gonna put it far higher in people's minds, isn't it? Two things I'll say, could say a lot, but I think, you know, in light of everything, a lot of, maybe three things. I do understand a lot of people in snooker were saddened by it, people that I know and like very much. So that is to be respected and sorry for that. Sorry for those people. I also think that um, in a funny kind of way, People took it a bit personally, I think, in snooker. I don't think that was necessary. Um, maybe it was the emotion of the night. I don't know. But people, oh, what are they do into our tournament? Well, they, they sort of do it everywhere. It's not really about snooker. You know, I don't think they really probably have very strong opinions on snooker. They do it at football. They do it at other sporting events. They do it on motorways. They do it here, there, and everywhere in public life now. So it's not a personal attack on snooker. And the other thing I say, Phil, funny, maybe a funny way of looking at it, isn't it a backhanded compliment in a funny kind of way, or maybe not even backhanded, to this sport? But those protesters and those people that organised this figured it would strike up an an image, and boy, didn't it! And actually, a couple of people I know made really good points. Actually, that I think it's so striking. It's all about the sanctity of that image, that twelve by six. Whereas when the person uh, attached themselves to a goalpost at Everton, goodness, it was a dramatic image. But stadiums are so big and so chaotic, generally, football matches. Whereas something about snooker, there was that image. It really sort of um, was striking, which I guess that what, what they banked on. And, you know, in terms of getting the coverage in newspapers and the, the pictures beamed around the world, they'd say it worked, wouldn't they, for them? Yeah, I mean, they they did what they wanted, didn't they? Um
0: And they got a lot of coverage in terms of, you know, I was listening to Sean Murphy the next morning on Five Live talking about it, and they had um, someone high up in Just Top Oil on there giving their side of the view as well and why they're doing it. So, yeah, certainly it was successful from their point of view. And, yeah, I mean, I I completely get what you're saying. You know, it's a hugely important issue that they're protesting about and protests are meant to be disruptive, and it's tricky. You can't – I think people are generally sort of – uh, well, I don't want to speak for anyone else, actually. I mean, I yeah, I agree with you that I'm pro-protests. You know, we should be able to do that in a free country and it's important to make points like that. And I guess you can't be pro-protest until it just affects you. And when it is in, when it's bothering you, then be anti-protest. So yeah, I mean, no one was hurt. Um the game went on a bit later. It was a shame for the people in the arena, of course. Although they get to watch the the other game, it wasn't the same. And I think I'm think I'm right in saying the WST didn't give them refunds for those tickets, where I think it was a bit poor. Um, actually, very poor. Really, they should have been offered, um, refunds because they they were allowed to come back in two days later or whatever it was, but. A lot of people wouldn't have paid, wanted to pay for hotels for that long. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, it
1: was what it was. Um, it was drama. It was a lot of drama, that's for sure. There's some drama in this building here, Phil. I should say I'm I'm next to the River Thames here uh, at my new my new building. I, I think I said on air that I'm actually just started working at the Times um, because for uh, sad reasons, I think to do with the structure of the newspaper at metro my time there has generally come to an end so i'm and ladies just come along to do some cleaning i'm seeing a security guard i presume i'm all right to carry on recording here so am i uh, no problem at all he's saying i can carry on phil the good news you is bet. i'm here on the the 14th floor here with a glorious view across london i can see st paul's cathedral just just to my left and uh, uh the big wheel London Eye to the right, and I'll just train my neck and I see Westminster as well. That's where I am. I know you're in Sheffield. Didn't mean it to be a sudden geography lesson, but I was taking a bit of, sort of <laughs> a lady that I thought wanted to do some hoovering, but uh, uh, we're, we're okay for now. We are speaking, of course, very late at night here. But yeah, you know, um, the other thing i say is that I, I do know quite a lot of left wing people in life, and I, I did feel a little bit that they were. You know, I'm very left wing, but I'm annoyed by this. I'm like, well, you know, how left wing are you? Just because just because the football match has been, uh, you know, a snooker match or a football match before has been interrupted. That. And that may be, then that shouldn't be enough to, you know, shelve your principles. But anyway, Phil, it was a hell of a night, wasn't it? And, you know, you were there to see it. And we saw, you know, lots and lots of uh, reaction. Of course, the story sort of spread around the world far beyond snooker. And uh, I do notice, I think, Justin the are kind of claiming some comments from Sean Murphy I saw on social media, maybe today. You know, Sean being one of those is actually, you know, well, you know, we see these comments from today with Attenborough and his programmes. We know, you know, the, the, the desperate situation for the planet. And one more thing as well. There have been a lot of protests in history, in human history, the last 1,500, maybe beyond years, which have not been popular at first. And an awful lot of those, with hindsight, have been proved to be along the right lines. Now, I'm not saying this is definitely going to be the case with this one, but if I was a betting man, I'd say there's a strong chance of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, I think the cause is sort of... I
0: mean, everything is deniable by some people. But it seems undeniable, doesn't it? Well, the point they're trying to make is extremely important. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Um, I don't think too many people are going to argue that. They just don't like the methods. But, um, yeah, uh, if, if if this leads to some sort of uh, positive change, then uh, we can all look back and say, OK, that was annoying for a bit, but then it's been overall worthwhile, can't we? So uh, let's hope that's the case.
1: Let's move on then with events on the table. Mark Allen eventually did start the match against Fang Chengji and won by uh, 10 frames uh, to five. So, uh, Alan on his way, he'll hope that for once he'll have a really good run here because, you know, we know about his crucible record. It hasn't been good enough over the years uh, by a long way. But he seems to be in pretty good heart. You know, he's, as you say, whatever happens, we'll paint a narrative on it, Phil. So we'll wait and see (laughs) what happens and then we'll put the narrative on it. We'll say, oh, he he peaked too early. Or if he does very well, well, he, he peaked for a bit, then he came again. So he, he, taught, he timed it well, but he got off to a good start.
0: Yeah, he was solid enough, wasn't he? I think he only gave himself a five out of ten when um, he was asked to rate his performance, but it was that might have been a bit harsh. But um, I think the most impressive thing about that was when when the protest happened, he was on a break of, I think, 24, and he returned 40, 45 minutes later. And turned it into a century. He finished on a one-two-six, which is must be the longest ever century in terms of how long it took to make him. Um, it was quite an incredible feat of concentration from him there. Um, but yeah, it was it was solid. It was easily good enough to win the match. Um, I think it was sort of the the perfect kind of encouraging first round performance for someone who wants to do well. Actually, so yeah, so steady from him.
1: Very much so, and it was certainly steady in a bit more times from John Higgins, good winner. Uh, 10-3 uh, against uh, David Grace. I think you, you were the one that made the point that David was the most, uh, you know, the biggest long shot, really. And I think, you know, that you, you could probably see why because, he you know, he hasn't got an immense amount of a crucible experience in recent times or ever, really, against one of the very best players there ever. And it was lovely to bump into David, by the way, um, backstage. I don't think I've ever met him in person before. What a great guy. One well, yeah. absolute light, proper gentle giant, that one. So that was really lovely. And uh, he was getting some good preparation in. But yeah, I think I think most of us probably expected a, a Higgins' victory there. It seemed like maybe one of the nicest ones he could have got potentially. Dave's a very fine player, but because of that lack of experience there over the years, he kind of felt that was one of the sort of kinder ones. And it was a a, a thumping win in the end. It was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dave, sort of, Dave, as you say, Dave is an excellent player, but
0: he's not one of the greatest players of all time like John Higgins. That's just the facts, isn't it? And Higgins uh, played really well. He sort of put a poor season behind him. Um, he did look like he was just finding some form in the weeks before the World Championship. And uh, he's going to be a threat again. Um, he, he says he's uh, he's shaved a bit of his cue. He's got it, it, the shortest cue he's had as a professional sort of over the last... 25 years, um, it's gone back to what it was like in the early 90s, uh, or in the 90s. Um, And he said that's helped. I don't know if it's one of those sort of placebo things that pros do sometimes, they just change something, it's something to focus on and concentrate the mind on practice. Um, But he's enjoying it, he's playing well, um, he loves being there. uh, And yeah, I think you can forget a bad season with someone like him. If he just has one good game over 13 frames like he played, then he's a threat again, and he definitely is uh, this week.
1: Very much so, and maybe you can also talk about Elliot Slesser, who came back from 7-1 behind against uh, Gary Wilson. Someone reminded me he did it before. Was that against Jan when he came back?
0: Someone's yeah, like, that was the only time oh. he's been here before in the sort of lockdown uh, oh. World Championships, and he made the real fight of that, and he did so again. Yeah, he's a scrapper. Uh, he's working with Peter Redden like McGill and as at uh, The minute and it uh, showed some of Ebdon style fights there, uh, made it very edgy for his uh, northeast pal Gary Wilson, who had been very very good in the first session, opened up a big lead. Slater almost wiped it out, um, but then superb and Wilson actually, when he would have been really sort of nervy to make a century to to win the match. So uh, yeah, we've seen him do well here before, Gary. We know we know what he's capable of when he's on form. Didn't happen as much as he'd like it to happen, but. Uh, into second round.
1: Very much so. And another really interesting match was Jack Lazowski, 10, Nopon, Sancam at seven. Pretty sure I had Nopon winning that, actually. I I thought Jack was really one of the most vulnerable of the top 16 players. I often think that about him, but I thought there was something about Nopon, really not a player he wanted to face. But he really did well, actually. Nopon came back, didn't he? Well, a few of these pattern matches, actually, early on, the pattern is that, a player comes back but doesn't then quite complete the job. a Very crucible, actually, I suppose. But in the end, Lazowski winning 10-7. And I guess, you know, we we would say that's almost the, the best thing to happen when you get a real test like that, but still come through it. Because you kind of, you, you take every wing then, don't you? You've, you've been tested, but you go through.
0: Yeah, I think that's about the best one. 10-6, 10-7, you get a bit of both without it being something like marathon match and being really sort of put through the mill. Um, I think has always says he struggles for focus <laughs> and concentration and applying himself throughout a, a long match. And I think that's what happened. He opened up quite a big lead and then sort of went off it a bit, um, got over the line in the end. He, he, he played really well in that first session. Um, I think I asked him to rate his performance and he said sort of eight out of ten for the first performance, for the first session but then really sort of tailed off in the next one. But it doesn't matter. Um, You know, it's progress for Lissowski, isn't it? Now he's a seeded player, given a tough draw, and without playing his best, won reasonably comfortably. And, yeah, that's not a position he's been in much before at all, really. Um, That's sort of more and more experience, just reliability, um, which he hasn't always had. So, yeah, positive stuff for Lissowski without really hitting uh, the heights that we know he can hit.
1: Yeah, that's a good, very good way of summing it up. I, I was not that surprised by Anthony McGill being Judge Trump. Listen, Trump, Trump hasn't been quite himself this season, but it's a horrible draw to get McGill. He's becoming such a crucible player. He's becoming, you know, he's really really building up some prestige about himself there. Although it was pretty close till late on, but then McGill sort of pulled away, 10 6 winner. Trump was pretty generous after, I thought, and. You know, said that you know, Anthony played well, but he did have his chances He's just not playing well enough in the balls, just missing too many. And I don't know what you made of Hendry asking McGill, do you think you can win it? I think I've changed my mind a bit on that, which is probably no bad thing because none of us do that enough these days. First of all, I thought it was an odd question. I thought it's a bit insulting. And uh, you know, almost Anthony seemed a bit and a bit embarrassed a bit and a bit sort of surprised. But actually, a few sort of wise judges have said to me, Well, Maybe it wasn't quite such a bad question because he hasn't always shown that belief there. And maybe Hendry was sort of saying it like that. And I think that might be be right. It might be a bit like that. I might have been jumping the gun on that one. But um, he should believe he's got the beating of anyone in this tournament, Phil.
0: Yeah, I thought it was... Well, it, whatever you think of the question, it became a good question because it got a good answer. Um, maybe that's a journalistic thing, way of looking at it. But the, the way McGill responded, just saying, yeah, absolutely, I believe, yeah, I'm here to win it. I can beat everyone here. I can beat them all in a row, I think is that how he put it. But then he always he always sort of just uh, rounds it off by saying, but they could all beat me as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do like listening to Anthony. I think he's got really interesting views on things. Um and yeah, obviously a superb player. It was it was the nightmare draw for anyone. Um, I think I picked Trump, didn't I? Because I think he's got a really good record against McGill, and he sort of found a way of winning even when he's not playing well. But he really didn't play well. He missed some shots that were am- amazing to see him miss. Really, um, it, that's why he was so. Um, he actually took it pretty well. He wasn't whinging or anything, but he was just sort of so down on himself because uh, he had a lot of opportunities. Uh McGill wasn't at his best, really, he played solid solidly. Um, but he did give Trump chances, which he just couldn't take. So um yeah, weird season for Trump, isn't it? Masters champion. I suppose if you the start of the season, if someone said, Okay, you can have the Masters, but that's it, maybe you'd take it, but it seems like a bad one for him going out first round here. Um, he says he might make some changes next season. He, he only ever does solo practice, just in with his brother. Mm. Um and when you're not doing well in tournaments, and because the, there's been less tournaments this season, uh, it has meant that he's not very sharp. Um, and he says he'll try and play more good players in practice, which makes sense, doesn't it? But you know, he did so; he did have that amazing run without doing that. So we don't know. But um, yeah, it'd be hopefully he can refine something because he's he's been missing his best form for a while now. So it would be good to see him back to his
1: best as
0: um, soon as possible.
1: Yes, very much so. Now, I actually watched the 147 live, Phil. I've missed so many. I think we all do because, you know, you never quite know when they're going to come. But I have to be watching just before midday. I switched over from the other match and I happened to see it. Tyron Wilson, of course, uh, making the magical maximum, only the 13th at the Crucible, the ninth player to do it in his uh, 10-5 win over Ryan Day. And actually, what what is going to be lost? Nobody, you understand that. With the one four seven, is how great his scoring was. Generally, he made so many centuries and big breaks. Apart from that, wow, he was firing. But the one four seven, you know, I mean, they're all interesting by their nature. But the last two blacks, I think it was the last red, they were hard, Phil, weren't they? They were pressure shots. Yeah, there was three or
0: four trying to pitch them all now, but yeah. I think the last two blacks and reds were, were difficult as far as I remember. And then that yellow, which was looked at almost identical to Cliff Thorburn's famous yellow on the 147, not easy at all. Um, yeah, it was brilliant from Kyron. Um, yeah. And he made a 133 just before that. Um, three more centuries, I think, later in the game. Um, he'd been showing some good fun, wasn't he, beforehand? Uh, and that was really sensational stuff, really excellent. Uh and yeah, what a piece of history! And he made some nice comments afterwards, saying, "You know, these are the things you want to be able to show your grandkids and like have them things that they, they can watch when you're gone and stuff." It was very sort of um, poignant stuff from Kyron. Yeah, he's a big family man, obviously. So yeah, amazing stuff. Um, and we say this quite a lot about sort of the snooker bubble and how much you can see people if you're hanging around here. I was in The Graduate uh, reasonably late last night after after this match had finished, and Ryan Day was in there having a few con- uh, consolation kind of drinks. So uh, that's the kind of thing you can see around uh World Championship in Sheffield. You know, you can go and commiserate someone who's just lost in the World Championship over a couple of lagers. So that's nice.
1: It is nice. I can't remember when you said it on our podcast or that just other conversation elsewhere in life now about players and the graduate. And I think I, I I think the answer was that they're sometimes in there not that much, but that's a good example of they do go in there and some of them just played at the Crucible that day. So that, that's great and just shows, says, says so much. One thing I should say, actually, going back to the protest, I meant to sort of say, one thing that is potentially quite sad, I, I heard Sean Murphy make this point and others, is if we lose that accessibility, I don't think we will, actually, yeah, I think that security has been stepped up since, and rightly. I don't think we will we'll lose that ethos. I don't think it was dramatic enough, or you know, it was, a, it was too much of a one off of that such word got willing. But we don't want to lose that lovely thing where you meet players, you speak to them, you shake shake their hands, and that that's one thing that I am a bit worried about. Do you know what I mean? But I think I, I think I'm probably over worrying. There'll be a bit of security step up, and then hopefully things will balance out a bit again.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think everyone's been pretty sensible about it. You know, uh, players have been very calm and just said, you know, it, it can happen. I don't think even the players who were involved said they were particularly scared, or it just
1: happened very quickly and it was over very quickly. So yeah, I don't think that'll be too much. But we'll be all right. The most dramatic day of the tournament, which I don't think I quite framed in my head till about now, just looking at this, they were all today, of course. These last three first round matches to uh, to finish two 10-9s and a 10-8 I mean what was the three surprise stars saying now Ali Carter not playing better oh the the two of them are to come the second one was Milkins I mean I thought he was gone Mm. you know I was just thinking this fits into the narrative for me of he's half fallen away he's running on empty in recent weeks Joe Poe's going to get a thumping win I always thought it would be close really surprised 7-2 down Came back this morning to win ten nine. I mean, you see Joe putting that GIF up of a yeah, tower collapsing. We I mean, did collapse somewhat. There has to be, and it happens, happens everywhere. But it sure does happen at this place, the Crucible. But uh, what a win for Milkins! I mean, talk about, not so much you know running on empty, proper second wind.
0: Yeah, he, he looks brilliant at times. There, you know, he's, he's so good to watch when he's sort of strolling around, making it look so easy. He's a bit like watching Zin Tong sometimes. That. Um, it just doesn't look like really playing Snooker properly. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke. Um, but yeah, Perry did sort of make it easy for him. That was uh, you know, that was sort of as bad as you can see. Someone as good as Joe Perry play really was missing things by a long way. Um, and he was pretty down afterwards, you know. He said, It's just so frustrating now at his age, his stage of the career, that's just what happens. He can be can be very good, can be very bad, not really sure what's gonna happen. And uh Yeah, it was kind of sad to see because I do like Joe, but I also like Rob, so congratulations to him. Uh, Pretty mad, really, that he changed his tip after the first session. That was a bonus of the delayed thing because of the protest. They had a day to knock that in and get used to it. Um, So to play that well with a brand-new tip, it was very impressive. Um, And, yeah, the fairy tale continues. You know, um, he hadn't been to the Crucible for a few years. Now he's back as a two-time ranking event winner into the second round. So, yeah, big congratulations to him because... you know his, what what he's achieved recently to be very popular because he's a he's a real good guy. Um. So yeah, that's nice.
1: Yeah, certainly is. Mark Selby had a, well, closer than I think we were all expecting at one stage. beating Matthew Selt 10-8. Uh, sort of, caught a, a fair bit of that. Sort of, bit of a corner of my eye while I was doing other work in the offices this, this afternoon. It kept something. Oh, it's still going on. It's still going on. It's still going on. What's Selt doing here? But in the <laughs> end, you know, it, Selby did manage to. To, to, to get the win, and it's, it is all about that at the, at the opening stage. And I, get it, I guess it falls into that category of, you know, the ideal thing being, you know, when you get a bit of a, or in this case, a very good test, but still come through, and he's all our favourites, and I see no reason quite yet not to uh, continue making him my and our favourite.
0: Yeah, definitely. He played really well. Salt played really well. I think that's the best he's played at the Crucible. Still looking for his first win there, I think. Um, but yes, Selby was just really good. Um, he was just just wavered a bit in sort of the two or three frames before a couple of frames before the end. He, he just wavered a bit, but that break to win it, 112, not the biggest break we'll see all week, but it was one of the best. It was really, really brilliant stuff. Some really horrible pots in there, and he pulled them all off, cleared the table. Um, yeah, so Selby very impressive, and as you say. Nothing to not nothing to change our minds on our tips for the tournament.
1: And it's probably a bit early to call it a curse of the Tour Championship. It's not just that. It's the old thing about winning the tournament before the World Championship is not considered very good for your crucible prospect. However, I was surprised to see Sean Murphy go out. See he winning uh, 10-9. Got a couple of nice texts tonight, actually, from people that are, you know, quite... Actually, one of them is Gavin Brown, you know, our, 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 mm-hmm. our retro. Does, does like his snooker, would be more of a big event man. He's saying, he does like watching this siege. Why? He, people really, um, you know, enjoying, you know, watching him play, play some smashing stuff in that match. But nevertheless, Murphy came back, didn't he, from 9-6 to 9-9. You think, sure, we'll probably do it here, but credit, credit to see winning 10-9. Such a big story that Murphy, the form man, he's been so terrific. This canon of year so far. But that's the crucible, Phil. In, in in the intense pressure of tonight, C held himself together. And wasn't it impressive to see that? Yeah,
0: he was brilliant. Um, especially the way Murphy started that game. He he knocked in a big century in the first frame. He was three-one up in sort of no time. So C did really well to hold it together and go finish the first session five four and then start brilliantly again on uh Thursday night. And uh, yeah, it was just a brilliant match. They both did a load of good stuff. Um, I don't think C was really faltering to the lower line. He he missed one black when it was to win. I think nine seven or he may have been ten seven. He may have even been ten six. Um, that was a that was a a twitcher, I reckon. But then Murphy just did really well to get back in and sort of had a couple of good bits of luck. And then it was a cracking, decided very proper. Uh, swinging both ways. It was one of those where I'd sort of written two completely different pieces um, to to hit publish on the final whistle, as they say. Um, but yeah, C made a 50-odd and was really unlucky with a split. Murphy had a chance um, off a fluke, wasn't it? Murphy got a chance of a fluke thread um, and it was a really good chance, actually. So sort of ran out of position, which was kind of poor. Um, and then C actually sort of won it with uh, with quite a clever snooker. Uh, which Murphy missed three times and then uh, then just left him plumbing. in. So yeah, just brilliant stuff from C, he had everything really. Um, and Sean was very, very gracious and very generous with praise in defeat, said this could be the first, C could be the first Chinese world champion. Um, he didn't quite go as far to say he's going to win it this week um, or this, this year, but um, he said he's got everything, looks to have everything in his game to, to do it at some point in the future. And, you know, Sean will know better than most after the two games they've played, which have both been memorable deciding frame defeats for him. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, no, but both in the home way, as you say, uh, particularly memorable. Well, that's the first round dull and dusted then. And you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And we are now moving, aren't we, Phil, into the first of a whole host of best of 25 frame matches. In fact, we've had some early action, haven't we? Uh, and let me give you the lineup for the second round. Then it is Mark Williams against Luca Purcell, it's 4 4 after their first session. It's Mark Allen against Stuart Bingham, Allen 5 3 up in their match. Neil Robertson against Jack Jones, Ronnie O'Sullivan against Hossein Vafai. It's Jack Nazowski, Anthony McGill, Robert Milkins against C. Dryhee, Mark Selby, Gary Wilson, and John Higgins against Kyron Wilson. Not a bad lineup, Phil. I mean, where do you start with that lot? I mean, just maybe we'll reflect just on in general terms about what uh, matches they are. Ronnie against Hossein Bafai is just a mouth-watering prospect. I think John Higgins, Kyron Wilson is one that I'll be particularly pleased to, pleased to look at. But just all of them. They're just looking through them here. Just a uh, Lizowski McGill. How can you call that? My goodness. So uh, we're just as snooker fans going to enjoy the next few days. It's going to be immense, isn't it? Yeah, there's very difficult
0: ones to call in there. Um, yeah, running against saneness, so you know, I think everyone's been aware of their sort of weird war of words that's happened. Um, and yeah, as I said, like Hussein sort of piled pressure on himself, but um, he's chosen to do it and he's playing brilliantly. Um, I'm actually going in to, to watch a session with Luca against Mark Williams uh, Friday morning, which I'm really looking forward to because that was a really entertaining uh, first session. Uh, Williams started well, Luca came back. Um, I find mcgill Lasowski a really hard one to call not sure what to make of that and it's really interesting that that little section of the draw uh, one of mcgill Lasowski, milkins and C are going to be in the semi-finals uh, which is huge for those guys Um, and yeah, Kyron against John's really hard to call isn't it? You'd think Mark Selby would be a hot favourite against Gary Wilson but Wilson's beaten him here before Um, so yeah, plenty to look forward to
1: they're all great draws they really are, and we can't wait for the second round of the tournament. Loads of of uh, great drama to come. And, Phil, well, it's just been, uh, you know, a brilliant week so far, and this tournament just delivers, doesn't it? You know, we've had close matches, the obvious very unexpected uh, dramas, you know, in terms of the protest, and... Well, we should say, we, you know, you, you've you been there throughout. I was there for the first weekend. You put me up at Hotel Hague, didn't you? <laughs> that was very nice. I mean, it it's enormous, folks. Talk about how the other half live. You put me up in the East Wing, didn't you? Which is very kind of you. <laughs> uh, we've got quite a, a funny old house, yeah, but um, yeah, it's a bit of a maze sometimes, but yeah. But it was very nice to have you here. We, we had a good laugh, didn't we, really? We met all kinds of characters, didn't we? My goodness me. And has to be said we did have some people come up to us last year and that was great but m- m- it was massive mammoth the number of people we had wanted pictures with us wanted to talk about this podcast was brilliant feel throughout even on the on the on the way home uh, at sheffield station i had somebody ask me for a selfie i had a message on my twitter from someone asking me if i was on their train they spotted me <laughs> at retford station of all places Ended up chatting with them, lovely chap Martin actually, and uh, at, at Kings Cross, uh, that was on, on, on Sunday night. And he was saying, you've got better things to do this time of night, this time of night than talk about the Mercantile Credit Classic. And I <laughs> thought, you, you don't know me very well Martin, I, have, I, haven't, I haven't really got many better things to do at all than do that. But um, it was lovely, wasn't it? And you know, I know we, we were joking about it a bit obviously, but it does mean so much, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, I won't, I won't go and try and name everyone now because there's been a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's always lovely to come and uh, speak to people that uh, listen to podcasts, just like snooker in general. There's a very friendly atmosphere up there. I mean, Sheffield's a very friendly place anyway, but especially as in that little snooker uh, bubble, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, it's been great. And plenty more to come. Yeah, we're not even halfway through yet. Um, so, yeah, really excellent. And um, I suppose we should touch on other news that has come out. Um, the chinese events coming back on the calendar three um before the end of the year actually not so there could be more tournaments added um after christmas but um yeah we've got shanghai masters uh, which will be 24 players and then two ranking events the wuhan open which is you know eye catching destination to after the return after covid to be like right where It all started. And um, the international championship, I think, was the other one, wasn't it? So I haven't got my nose here. Um, But that's in a uh, city TBC. Um, But yeah, great news for the tour, great news for the players. Um, And other news today about the tour championship going to Manchester, Manchester Central, uh, which is a great venue, bang in the middle of the city, Central in the name. Um, I went to see the Archie Monkeys there once a few years ago and it was very good. So, yeah, um, shame for Hull, obviously. One and done for them, it seems. Um, but I think that's exactly the kind of place that we've been talking about big tournaments should be in. Um, big cities, uh, notable uh, venues that people know um, with a great catchment area. So it looks like good news to me.
1: It's too much to start saying that Talking Snooker effectively runs snooker now, isn't it? <laughs> I think I've gone a bit too far there, but it does seem, you know, that when we come up with ideas on this podcast, it's not long before they're put into action. Long may that last, Phil Haig. Yeah, of course, Um, of course, uh, uh, big cities, a great city in terms of Manchester. And that first year of the English Open, I said, that should have been given more time for me. That was a bit out of Manchester, wasn't it? This is right in the middle. So let's see. And a 12-player event now. So yes. that's the other sort of development, isn't it? And I think it will be the, the top four going in the quarters, won't it? And then we don't know how long the matches. is. I presume there's still going to be marathon matches, I guess. I guess some of them have to play at the same time now. But listen, you know... I've I've had varying different views and I don't think there's a right answer on this. Some people are saying, oh, that's a really interesting new twist. And some people say, well, that seems a bit knee-jerk after one bad addition. I can see both sides of that, actually. I really can. But uh, I think it was particularly bad, wasn't it? I mean, that was an empty arena in Hull. And, you know, OK, you say one bad addition, but when something that prestigious is played out to a bank of empty seats day after day, something maybe had to be done. I'm sorry for Hull as well. I wanted Hull to carry on hosting an event I think it's too much to to back away from somewhere without giving it more of a chance I would have liked to have maybe seen it have a, a, a quote unquote lesser event on the calendar maybe sold a bit better but as you say it seems like it's paid the price for one disappointing tournament but there we are you know it's not easy to set up a calendar is it Phil and there's always sort of vagaries and nuances involved but yeah Manchester in the spring for the tour championship sounds like a, a right old good match
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it sounds great to me. And yeah, twelve people. It does seem like a, a reaction to the, the the lineup this year. But I don't think there's any losers in that. You know, it's more opportunity for players. People more likely to see more places that they want to see. Um, they've obviously gone big on this arena. It's probably quite expensive to rent that arena, so they want to guarantee the best uh, lineup and everything. So yeah, um, it probably is a it probably is a bit of an idiot reaction to that. But yeah, I. There's no negatives really for me, so that's fine.
1: Maybe we should sign off. We've enjoyed the television coverage. Haven't we? You know, I've certainly seen a lot more of it since I've been back at home. Tend to watch more the BBC than old habits die hard sense, but US sport, of course, are, as excellent as they always are. And I think lots to admire about the BBC's coverage as well. The great voices are the great voices, Phil. That hasn't changed. You know, John Virgo has that word cadence, he, he rises to meet the moment time and time again he's been doing that but the television coverage on both sides so far to me has been very good loads of strengths loads of really strong characters great insights great wisdom on there i've thoroughly enjoyed watching
0: yeah absolutely Yeah, all, all the familiar faces um i saw john burgo today actually said hello to him um and yeah yeah excellent i've been in the pre- i've been there for all of it so not watched loads on the telly really but uh yeah, it's always reliable. The Winter Gardens is a lovely setting, isn't it? I think that's always a nice, nice view. Um, so, yeah, all good stuff.
1: Well, I haven't just been visiting the Winter Gardens to uh, to keep tabs on the BBC, Phil, uh, uh, this year. Of course, it's also the venue for our media parliament. I'm already out. I was out early in England. I've actually did some World Cups over the <laughs> year. First night, Sam Fletcher. I'm, I'm going to watch that draw take place next time. I've had Sam Fletcher from WST twice now. He is miles better than me, you know. I know it's. I know I know it's the nature of sport. It's the luck of the draw. But if it's the third time, I, 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 you'll see a different side to me. I'll be furious. Um, but but that, I did get beaten. Who have you got? Tell everyone.
0: Yeah, well, I'll just say that I watched Nick's game and he played very well. And Sam is an excellent player. I've seen him play, and uh, I wouldn't give myself any chance against him. And Nick took him a long way. Um, it looked like it was going to be an upset on the cards at one point but it was a, it was a narrow win for Fletcher uh, and i'm playing rob walker uh, which is going to be interesting uh, i'm playing him on sunday i think we've we've penciled that in so uh, i'll let you know i'll get on get on the i went i did actually go for a practice at the club i play in sometimes so i've got the arm going and
1: uh, we'll see how we get on well i hope i'm not being too too sort of um, outspoken but i said to you that rob played very well when we played at the masters but I think you put me off a bit because I'll say it now. Anyone listening, you can you can speak on behalf of the listeners. If you had to predict how Rob Walker would play snooker, how what would you what would your prediction be?
0: Yeah, it'd be very energetic, pacey, sort of bouncing around the table. That's what you'd expect.
1: It's like Eddie Charlton, nineteen eighty-two. <laughs> Honestly, it's unbelievable. It's so deliberate. It's completely unlike Rob. His character. It's just extraordinary. Isn't it? You know, you have to just get used to that. Put that out of your mind. I think it's going to be a close match. I've seen you both play. It's going to be a thriller. If you're around the Winter Garden Sunday, and you think I'm a bit sick of what's going on at the Crucible, get yourself a bit of Hagen Walker over the over the square there.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it'll be about seven o'clock on Sunday. I don't, I don't know why I say this. Actually, I don't want a crowd there because I can only imagine I'll struggle with a crowd. Whereas Rob's the kind of guy who would love a crowd. So uh, yeah, actually, don't come. I, I'm taking that back.
1: What gave you the idea that Rob Walker would love a crowd? Now we must. Uh, depart, I think. It we've 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 done a little over the hour mark. We aimed for about 45 minutes, mm-hmm. didn't we, late on this Thursday night? But um we do like talking snooker. What can we say? Phil, the second round will entrance us all. And we'll be back, won't we, next Thursday with Brian Wright live in Sheffield. Bit of a set too with the former chairman of World Snooker tour Brian. Yeah. It's like he's setting up news lines for us today. Him and Barry Hearn going at it I noticed on Twitter, but we'll look forward to having Brian on here. He really is a a, a character and a half. Yeah, absolutely. As if
0: we didn't have enough to talk to Brian about before, we've got an extra thing to put on the scheduling there. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be really good. And uh, yeah, if you haven't heard the other podcasts, if you've got time for any other podcasts, I've been appearing on the Snookered podcast, the new BBC one that's just this tournament. They've had some great interviews with like Sean Murphy, Steve Henry, Steve Davis, the one tomorrow morning. I'm getting up in about five hours to do the next one. Um, it was with Hazel Irvine. So um, Irvine, sorry. Um, so yeah, that's been really good, really fun. So uh, if you've got time after these, if after talking snooker, fit that one on your podcast scheduling as well.
1: They're calling you Phil the Phantom Hague, aren't they?
0: Which is um. Yeah, they asked about sort of nicknames. Well, I'd have a snooker nickname and that's my that's my darts nickname, which I employ sometimes in darts tournaments. So yeah, they
1: can have that. I think it fits. Bill Haig on the BBC throughout the World Championship, along with, of course, here on Talking Snooker. Back next Thursday, I salute you at this absurd hour and say, great to have you for company. See you next week. Yeah, always a pleasure, and thanks for
0: listening. I hope you're enjoying the World Championships. It's been
1: superb so far, long way to go, so uh, stay tuned. Yeah, about a third through now in terms of time. Hope it's going well for all you out there. I know so many of you will be really enjoying this tournament, relishing it every day. Morning, noon and night, that's the thing. You just sort of forget. Snooker just takes over our lives, and long may, may that continue in the days to come. We're back next Thursday. Keep enjoying the World Championship, won't you? for now for phil myself cheerio sports social podcast network